In episode 460 with Tammy Lynn Kent, we talk about self-care for mamas, how to view motherhood as a spiritual practice, how to mother from your center, plus so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because Mothering from Your Center is one of my all-time favorite books. And the concept of Mothering from Your Center resonates with me so deeply. I read this book years ago, and I have wanted to have Tammy on the show for so long. This is how long it has taken to get her on the show, but she is here, and I am so excited for you guys to soak up her wisdom. And for those of you that have never heard of Tammy, she is the founder of Holistic Pelvic Care for Women and author of Wild Feminine, Mothering from Your Center, and Wild Creative, three books that must be on your reading list. She is a women's health physical therapist with a master's degree in physical therapy. Her TEDx talk called The Vagina Whisperer, Moving from Shame to Honor in the Female Body is amazing and a must watch for all women and men of all ages. She has worked with thousands of women and runs an international training program for women's health practitioners. She is a mother to three beautiful sons and she is passionate about teaching women and mothers ways to cultivate the creative energy meant to flow through all aspects of one's life, to access this beauty and wildness within. Head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash 460 for the show notes. Now let's bring on this beautiful goddess, Tammy. Welcome, Tammy. I am so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) Um, I always have oatmeal and then lots of fruit and nuts. And my husband makes the most amazing percolator coffee. Oh, I have oats and nuts and all of the goodness, but I don't have coffee. So we're kind of on the same page. Now, I first discovered you from your amazing book, one of your amazing books, Mothering from Your Center, which is just the most delicious, soul-nourishing book ever. Like, it's, it's so beautiful, and I feel like it is essential reading for all. And ideally, before we conceive, ideally, but anytime is amazing. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend, and we'll link to it in the show notes, But can you tell us, what does it mean to mother from your center? Like, what is that? What does that mean? And I loved your TED Talk and I love all of your books. And I read your book actually way before I was even pregnant. So I'm so glad I had this wisdom from you before I got pregnant. And now having a one-year-old, I've been rereading your book and there is so much juice in there. So I want to thank you for it. It's such a beautiful parenting guide. But tell me, what does it mean to mother from your center? What does that mean? What does that look like? And how did you come up with this? 
Well, there's a little bit of a story behind that. And first of all, I would say I wrote it on the other side, like when my youngest was five and my oldest was 12. And so it really was, for me, a love letter to mothers and maybe giving all the information that I wish I had had before I'd even gotten started. So it was written from the perspective of an elder mother. And I feel like I could write a lot more even now because now my kids are 22, 18, and 15. So (laughs) it's a whole nother (laughs) level. But I wrote it because I felt like mothers do so much. Mothers are the center and yet they don't really get cared for and nourished, especially in a patriarchal society, societies. So it was really meant as a, as a love letter and nourishment and education for women so that they could take better care of themselves. And the original title was actually Wild Mothering. So, you know, I've written three books and it's Wild Feminine, then it was Wild Mothering and the Wild Creative. And it was the book company I was working with really wanted it to be more mainstream and maybe more accessible. So they pulled that phrase out because I guess it was something I used a lot, mothering from your center. And so that's how the title came. And, you know, it's not meant to be a how-to book. It's really meant to bring women back to the center of themselves. And I think of it as really using the womb portal to move from. So the center point being, you know, you hear all this advice, like do this, do that for birth, for pregnancy, for nursing, for mothering. And it's always outside of you. And Mothers really actually have a deep, innate, internal sense, but I think they get pulled a lot. So it's really a call back to your center and both for your own nourishment as well as kind of whatever you need to know, whatever you need is really in the center. When I read your book the first time and now that I'm rereading it, it's literally like a warm hug for your soul. That is how I feel when I read your book. I feel so held and like. Everything that you share, this deep knowing of everything that I know to be true within myself. And I absolutely just love it. And you have inspired me so much. And I know you have three boys and you talk a lot about this with them, which I think is so beautiful. And you talk about periods with them and, you know, you really educate them, which is just so beautiful. And when I became a mum for the first time, which was just over a year ago, I always thought I'm going to just intuitively parent and I'm going to follow my intuition. And that's how I've lived my life. My business and my personal life have been built on intuition and following that. And then I became a mom and there was so much noise. There's so many books, there's so many podcasts, there's so many experts, which is amazing. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was really being pulled off my center And I completely stopped listening to myself. And it wasn't until my husband reminded me, he said, darling, what do you think she needs? Come back to you. Like you, this is how you live your life. Like everything is built on your intuition and following that. And it was like this, oh yeah, like what am I doing? And being a first time mom, you have your training wheels on. And I'm sure it gets easier with the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. I'm sure that confidence is there. But because I'd never done it, that confidence wasn't fully there. But then when my husband reminded me that come back into my center, it was this weight lifted off my shoulders. So how does one come back to their center and really listen to that with the amount of noise that is out there? Well, I think, I mean, really, this is going from a patriarchal to a matriarchal focus. So it's like it's bigger than one person. And I think 
part of it is realizing that it's more than you as a person. It's like a whole system is based on external knowledge. So the medical system, the educational system, all of it is sort of like, you know, patriarchy is not gender, but it's father knows best. And it's not even father. It's like this idea that the knowledge is outside of you. And so originally, you know, mothers and grandmothers were the healers and the ones who knew the medicine. And so it's really a journey back to yourself. So it's not something I think even it's something you kind of have to learn really. So partly it's taking off the feeling of doing something right or wrong and knowing that the reason you feel that way is because the whole system is based on this. So there's all of this advice out here. So, you know, it's sort of going back to your own center and it's a little bit like when we birth and we know that our womb has knowledge. Actually, our womb has knowledge for mothering and for medicine. And But it's something that you kind of have to learn because unless you were in a matriarchal society, you probably don't have that innate knowledge. So a lot of it's fractured and lost. So when I wrote Mothering from Your Center, I pieced together a lot of things that were from my own experience, but also because I tend so many women, I learn faster and learn a lot. And I put that together. And I think looking for sources like that, where you can see where there's whole knowledge and maybe information sending you back to your own center in a loving way, but not expecting you to know it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it is intuitive, but because the whole system is based externally, you still might have to learn a few things. And I joke with my oldest son that he's my first pancake, you know? (laughs) So I'm still learning. He's 22 now and figuring out where to stand with a young adult in a tribeless culture where we don't have tribes holding the children or holding the young adults. It's a lot of work to be a tribe for your child. In fact, it's like a nearly impossible task. But at the same time, when you come to your own center and you start reweaving your own relationship with that, and you know, all the books I wrote, like Wild Feminine, it is kind of a guidebook in coming back to your center. Mothering is a guidebook in coming back and mothering from that place. And then Wild Creative is like, how do you build a life from there? So they're all guidebooks and there's other ones too, I think, where it's just, you know, it's a process of relearning something that is intuitive and ancient, but maybe is a little fractured and forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. You speak a lot in your work about the power of the womb and the pelvic bowl and how that is like the seed of our creativity and that holds a lot of trauma and it also holds a lot of magic. So how would one know if they have trauma held in their pelvic bowl? And then how do we release it? I think almost everybody that I see, so I've seen thousands and thousands, like probably more than 10,000 women, right? Over 20 some years. So I don't think I've ever seen anybody without trauma. So everybody has some degree. It's just levels, you know, how much or how, you know, there's the micro traumas just living in a culture that dishonors the female body and dishonors menstruation and all that. And that's some of what I covered in my TED talk where I was like, okay, if we want to have a whole experience as women and as a community, we actually have to go from shame to honor in the female body. And it has to start with things as basic as menstruation. And not just teaching the women about the power of menstruation, but actually teaching the men, which is why I talked to my boys. So it's in that, you know, there was a lot packed into that TED talk, but you know, the whole idea that I think, and part of what I wanted to say in that TED talk is no matter what you've had happen. So some women have had severe trauma that they know of and they feel broken and others, maybe it's more the micro traumas, but they're still profound of the shame around the female body. Everybody comes with something. 
but knowing that the medicine is also in the source point. So part of the reason that we have trauma and we have dishonoring is because our bodies are so powerful. And how do you take away power? You shame it and you denigrate it. And so it's a repair process for everyone. And the antidote, the most basic repair and antidote is to go from shame to honor and from pain to healing. And so if anybody is feeling that, you know, they could watch my TED talk and that's kind of laid out in there. And it's really, I think for me, working in the pelvic bowl, I started more as fixing, fixing problems, fixing imbalances, urine leakage. But what I found was there was such profound power and energy in the bowl, in everyone that came to me, no matter what they had happened. And so it's about access to that. Now, when people have trauma, sometimes it fractures their access. So it's about repairing the relationship and it's a repair project for everybody. And it just depends on how you want to enter that repair for yourself personally. And, you know, that's why I wrote so many books was as guidebooks. I, I mean, as, as guideposts so that women would have some idea how to do that. Cause there, you know, there is that question how, but one simple thing that I was talking about besides personal work is how you relate in your families. Like for me with sons sharing the power of menstruation. So they might respect all the women in their lives in the future. Yeah, I loved the story that you shared in your TED Talk. And I won't spoil it here. I would love for everyone to go and watch your TED Talk and hear that story about your son's friend with the blood. I thought that was really sweet. And I did ask their permission. I'll say that too. I think that's really important. You know, when you share a personal story, I asked their permission if I could do that. And they all were, you know, my middle one was like, oh, do you really need to? And I was like, well, the thing is, honey, it's important so that we can heal as a culture. He mostly just wanted to make sure I got a good picture. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like on a stage, you know, putting them up, but they were good sports. Oh, that's so sweet. You talk a lot about mothering as a spiritual path, which I totally agree and I love. And you say that mothering is a true spiritual path and that it will expand your spirit, make painfully visible your personal limitations and bring some of the greatest heart opening moments of bliss, sometimes all in one day. So how can we make that shift to thinking of mothering as a spiritual path? Because I know a lot of people probably don't think of mothering as a spiritual path. How do we make that shift and why is it so important? Well, I think, gosh, there's a lot you could say to that, but part of it, I think it's a big load, right? And so people feel the weight of the load. And the thing I think about a spiritual path is you understand kind of the importance of the task, but also the support for the task, right? So like a spiritual path will take you to very uncomfortable places and it will put a load on you. And the idea is not to break you, but to expand into some trust with something greater. And so, you know, having that knowledge helps if you think of that for, I think people think about that with spiritual quests, like if they go on a silent retreat and they know that they're going to fast and they know they're kind of preparing for this, it's going to be grueling, and but I'm doing it for something greater, you know, some growth. And so if you can put mothering into that context too, it helps because it is a real load, but it's also, there's a greater field that always holds us. And I think that, you know, children aren't ours, right? They come through us and we bear witness to them, but um, they will press you in places in the process of mothering them, both in the culture and also in your individual relationship that are beyond your personal capacity. And so if you have that spiritual component, you have some resources 
to kind of reach for and stretch. It's just like when you think you can't go any further. I mean, the birth analogy is a good one where you like, you feel like you can't go any further and then you do go further. You know, it's like that you like go through that many times. And again, I'm doing that with young adults now, or we all went through the pandemic. That's another time where people had to really reach for something bigger. For me, it's kind of like the life force mystery. You know, I've reached for that at many times when I felt like I was at the end of what I could do. Maybe I was healing a lineage wound, or maybe that child had a need that I was having trouble finding resources for. Or in this time, you know, young adults are struggling a lot, going for that deeper layer, that kind of unseen mystery, but seeing it as a help and a blessing kind of allows you to go further than you could personally go. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. In birth, I had a home birth and I had a beautiful midwife and a doula. And I remember that point where you think, can I go any further? And I remember my husband looked at me and he just said, we're doing this and we're doing it now. And I was like, okay. And then I just stood up. I put my leg up on the side of the pool and I just (laughs) roared her out. But I remember that moment where I was like, I don't know. Like I've got full goosebumps because I was like, I don't know. Can I do this? And you just draw on that strength from the divine and it just comes through you and it's so powerful and beautiful. So yeah, you know, when we think that we can't do something, think again, because we are powerful beings. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, like you've got that empowerment in your own body, but sometimes women end up with like a, a cesarean or something that they didn't want, you know, or like I had a child who had a, my third child, I had a really powerful home birth, but I write at the end of mothering from your center, he had an appendix rupture that went awry and he ended up in the hospital and he had many, many impacts from that. And I wouldn't have wished that, you know, it didn't have like a great empowered feeling. Let's just say it felt kind of the opposite. But I had to use the same quality of going to something deeper, calling on it and asking for that energetic support, whatever it is. It's like, it's, it's just like a deeper well or reservoir that then came through. And I use that a lot in healing places because in, there are beautiful places of mothering where you stretch and you feel like, Oh, that was so good. Like I really stretched. There are other places where you almost feel like a failure, like something didn't go as planned or, you know, like with my son with his health issues that was not feeling like an empowered moment. But in reaching for the mystery and reaching for the the potential that could come through for him in whatever way you do that, like for me, it was prayer, meditation, calling on helpers, things like that, using his birth flow, powerful energy came through to help us get to the other side of that and bring healing tools in. So sometimes it looks like that. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about the mother being the flow of the family. And I've, I've always thought this and I've always said that I have a 16-year-old stepson. I call him my bonus son. And before my daughter came along, I noticed that however my energy was dictated the whole flow of the family. And this was before I read your book. And then I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Wow. Okay. And now I know even more having my daughter that my energy, my flow literally dictates the whole flow of the family. So it's really important that us as mamas and fathers too, that we take care of ourselves, that we fill ourselves up. We need to let go of the story that self-care is selfish. Self-care is essential, absolutely essential. 
And we need to let go of the story of the guilt around that. So the guilt that we associate with when I go and get a massage or some body work. And I want to invite everybody to let go of the story around the guilt and let go of the story around it being selfish. Can you just talk a little bit about the power of self-care as a mama? Yeah, I mean, I think of it, first of all, the root always shows depletion when a woman's depleted. It always tells the truth, right? So I think there's a level of training in most cultures of self-sacrifice where especially a lot of things run on women's energy because women will stand, you know, will keep going and, and keep giving and forget about themselves a little bit. And so the thing is, we are part of nature and nature never naturally depletes itself. You know, so nature does not try to, like if you have a fruit tree, it will often bear more fruit one year and then less fruit another year because it's replenishing. And really women's health is better when we are part of that cycle, when we really pay attention to that cycle for ourselves. And, you know, it's us, but it's also what we're teaching the family. We're like, we're t- are we teaching them that women are to be depleted, you know, and that we are depleted and we're, we just get used up or that there's a reciprocity. So it's for our own health. And, you know, if you deplete your chi, your energy, literally by just giving and giving and giving, you're drawing down your reserves and that has health implications. And also it does show the family that it's like honoring the feminine. Um, there has to be this intake back in. So there's a real energetic potential when we bring chi back to our center versus just the output. And it's really important to show, and, and I think everybody really needs that too. That's sort of, that's what's sustainable is when we have the inflow and then the outflow in the end. It may not be exact. <laughs> it's probably always going to be a bigger outflow, but that inflow is vital. And you can kind of get away with it when you're younger, but as you get older, if you do too much, and so I do a lot of educating of younger mamas where I'm just like a little bit held back, a little bit back in, you're going to be better in the long run. It's very important. Yeah, absolutely. I know for me and being a first time mama and having a, a one-year-old, there's times when I go and do my work or I go and do self-care and a little bit of that guilt comes up and I take a breath and I'm like, oh, that's interesting that that guilt's there. Okay. What would you say to me when that comes up? Like, what do you recommend I do? Yeah. I mean, I guess first I would just maybe ask, be curious about that. Like, wow, what is this? Why do I feel that? You know, a lot of times I think that's when we identify our worth on what we do rather than who we are. And again, that's another patriarchal pattern. It's like all this output. A more feminine-based model understands the input and honors the being and not just the doing. And, you know, I really try to teach my kids that not only for how I model, but for their lives too, because if you only measure your value on your output, you're going to miss a lot of things, right? You're not valued when you're just sitting there, not valued when you're sick, valued when you're having a baby. So those times in our lives when we need to slow down, we suddenly don't feel lovable, right? It, It puts you in all these kind of binds and it's not a real pattern. So it's really, it's kind of a reorientation towards health, I would say. So be curious, be curious about that in oneself and know that you're, you're writing (laughs) the whole system back to a healthier, more sustainable model. And I think too, the other thing is I'll just say that I definitely had the tendency to overgive like many women. And what I realized is I was almost interfering with my children's ability. I, I realized this later with their own ability to have their own capacity. You know, what did I think I needed to meet 
And then actually they had their own capacity. And when you step back and you don't give as much, they rise up. So it's, you know, that's an important thing too, to give them the opportunity to like, maybe you're not there, you're taking care of yourself and they have to self-soothe a little bit more. They have to be more creative with their own. They can't just rely on you, lean on you. That's actually really good for them. And so understanding that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And what I do when that little bit of guilt comes up, I take a breath and I ask myself what that is about. And almost all of the times, that's actually not yours. It's society's stories that they've put on you. And then I give myself permission to let that go because it doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve my daughter. And I find that it usually pops up if So when I'm with my daughter, I'm fully with my daughter. I'm not working at the same time. I'm not on my phone. You know, I'm with her. But if I'm not fully present with her in the way that my mind is maybe thinking about work things or other things, that's when the little bit of guilt will pop up when I then go and work or I go and do self-care. So it's really interesting. I've just been, you know, journaling about it. And what came to me was like, that's actually not yours, Melissa. And so that was really interesting. Right. Well, and I think too, it's important to have a lot of compassion for yourself as a mother and realize, I will say this again and again, we're trying to be tribes for our children. You know, like every child once upon a time was held by many adults, many fathers, many mothers, when we were more tribal. Not that you can't try to create a tribe, but it's just, it's hard to actually do what that was giving. So in some ways, it's an impossible task. You can only fill so many holes. So, you know, you do the best you can, but it's also like so much compassion for literally what we're trying to do. And that gets evident. I mean, you'll see it at different times when they're little, right? They need care. Like, but when they're older, there's different kinds of ways they need to be held and you can't be all the pieces. And that's painful. Like sometimes I even experience pain that I, like there isn't like a group of males taking my sons out to do things, you know? And it just like, I can feel the ache and there's not much I can do about it. So Part of it is just honoring what is. How can we cultivate more of a community or tribe? And I know you talk about in the book that many, many years ago, we were, like you said, raised by many fathers and many mothers to the point where the children wouldn't know who their actual mother was, not in a bad way, but because they had all of these women and all of these men, they were like, they're all my mothers, which I think is just so beautiful. And I think this whole idea that we have to do this alone and in our four walls, on our own, like some women are in their four walls all day with their children, you know, maybe one child, two or three, all day. And like, I just think, what have, why, what have we done? So how can we cultivate more community? And what are some of your tips? Well, I think it's tricky. I think when people have been fractured for a long time, they actually don't do community very well. So my experience is that actually community is difficult and people that really live in community, like I'll give you an example. I was working with a woman who she's living here in the States, but she had this real powerful energy around her. And I was talking to her about it. I said, you have like this energy of Africa. And she's like, oh my gosh, I lived there actually for like 20 years. And we were talking about it. And she said that people don't knock when they, they just come in and there's a call, there's a call and response where you say like, I'm here with you. When you come in, you don't even knock. And the other person says something like you are always welcome with me or something. And she was just saying how much she mourns that, you know, here in the West. And so, but to do that, you have to have a high tolerance for 
the relationships, you know, the little irritations, the jealousies, <laughs> the conflicts. So I, you know, I don't know where it is, how it is for you, but like here in the States, this whole culture is built on fracture, what we call independence. But so people don't know, they don't necessarily have the skill sets for tribes. So the reason I give you the long answer to this is I think when you want to cultivate something, you have to understand the obstacles to cultivating it before you can. So like we have this idea, like I'll just meet other mothers and like, we'll all hang out with our kids. And the thing is mothers that have just had babies, you end up often with the same age, you know, instead of the multi-age of like the elder mothers in the year, you end up with kind of this mono age. And then also like mothers with new babies are pretty hormonal. So <laughs> they're kind of moody with each other. And it, so it's just understanding that there might be a few things that are difficult about that. Not that you can't do it, but if you understand the obstacles and you're better prepared when you go in and you realize it's not all just rosy, like having a tribe has a beautiful container, but there's work, especially if you're working with people who don't know what it's like to be in that deep of relationship. Does that make sense? So you start with that and then you go, okay, this is probably going to be kind of messy. I need some tolerance, you know? And then, you know, sometimes it naturally happens like around a school or around a neighborhood or what I tried to do is just be involved in different circles with my kids and orient towards community around what they were interested in and then pull in people for them. You know, I wish I could say there was like an easy tribal experience that held our whole family, not so much. But I found little tribal places with each child by pulling in particularly adults that saw them what, you know, like for one child, it was sports. For another child, it was our younger one had to have a lot of tutoring, but we found really special tutors who could see him and love him and like maybe take him fishing or other things, you know? So it's somewhat piecemeal, I think, but, you know, doing the best you can and knowing that it's important to have other adults in your child's lives. And as many as you can pull in is the, you know, the best. Mm, I love that so much. And that really resonates with me. And I was interviewing someone the other day and they said the same thing. We don't know how to be in communities anymore. We don't have the tools and these little irritations and these frustrations. We have told ourselves, oh, it's just easier if I just block that person out of my life or yeah, a lot of that. There's a lot of trauma around that. So learning how to accept everyone for who they are and how they show up and that is going to be the first place I think we start. And realize it's not personal because I think that's the other thing is people go in trying to make a family or something with, you know, different. And I think if you understand that people, especially if you come from a Western culture, which, which is more fractured, you, you know, people don't have the skills and it's not personal when they can't meet you. It's a reflection of the way that we've, the most people have grown up. So it takes patience and depersonalizing things. So you don't feel it's like a rejection, you know, it's a skill set that people have or don't have. Absolutely. You say that one of the most positive things that you can do for yourself as a mother is to release all mothering guilt and regret. You say guilt closes down your heart center and restricts the spirit energies that will come to your assistance in the presence of self-love. And I absolutely agree that we need to let go of this guilt and this regret it's something that I hear a lot of women talk about, like we were talking about before. And for me, when that pops up, when that guilt does pop up, I remind myself now that it's closing my heart. And 
my daughter and my family, they deserve the open-hearted version of me. And I literally asked myself, do I want to be, do I want to be in my day and walk around my day with a closed heart? And the answer is absolutely not. So I literally visualize when that guilt comes up, my heart closing or or the regret or the shame or any of that, whenever those come up, I literally visualize my heart closing. And then I ask myself, is that the mother I want to be for my daughter? Do I want to be the closed hearted mother? And the answer is absolutely not. Right. Well, and I think one thing I would say to that is the first person you might have to open your heart to is yourself, because that's usually what's happening is you're judging yourself, you know, like you're not this or you're not that, or you're, you know, so it's like the heart, when you open it, think of it as opening and giving you love first, because mothering requires a lot of love. And we unfortunately don't have enough elder mothers pouring the love to the the ones mothering. So, you know, it's really up to each one of us to actually put that in our so we have the great mother within right so we can bring that in and just bring that love because i think during the beautiful moments and the blissful moments it's just happening naturally right but it's during those hard moments where you realize you can't be a tribe and it's hurting or you know there's just or you don't feel like you're measuring up or you want wish you had more whatever in the moment that's that love is is a healing act right then and there to let that open to yourself and that's what unconditional love is it means that there aren't conditions on it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, it all starts with us. We've got to give ourselves that love. We've got to fill ourselves up first. And then we can be the best mama that we can be, the best wife, the best friend, the best partner. But we have to fill ourselves up. And I know this so much to be true. Like, and, it, you know, letting go of the stories, like I said before, about taking time for yourself. But there's been many times where I'm like, I just need to go for a walk and I just need 15 minutes on my own. And I'll say this to my husband, I just need to go for a walk. And then I'll come back completely centered and back in my heart space. But so often we've told ourselves that we need to do it all. We need to do it all ourselves, but we need to just let go of that story and come back into our heart. Yeah. And I think that nature walk or just getting outside is helpful because I think of that as the great mother, you know, like nature is always right there. And I use her a lot to just help me. Like when I feel depleted, I kind of visualize or I go outside or I lay down on the earth and I bring her back in to hold me. So it's kind of like you're a phone and you need your charge battery, you know, it's like plug into that bigger force. It's always there. But sometimes when we're in reaction, we close down. So it's about opening and receiving that medicine in whatever moment you're in, is a good ability to be able to step away and and let your energy get refreshed. Mm, Absolutely. I have the most beautiful breastfeeding meditation that I recorded. It's on my website and 100% of the proceeds go to Destiny Rescue, which is freeing women from child sex slavery. And the reason why I created this meditation was because in my early days of breastfeeding, when I was breastfeeding so much, you know, you'd around the clock all day and night, I would visualize going to the very center of the earth and drawing up that life force energy from the very core of the earth all the way through every layer of the earth. Then it would hit the circumference and touch my feet and go up through my feet, up to my breasts and then out my nipples. And I literally visualized that in all of my meditations when I was breastfeeding. And it was so beautiful. And it's such a simple thing that we can do when we need to cultivate more of that energy within ourselves. Just draw on it from 
the divine mother, it's always there. Yeah. So I teach the work I do, holistic pelvic care that I developed. I teach it to providers. And I had a woman in my one of my classes who had a fairly, you know, a couple month old baby and she was pumping during the class and she routinely got less milk in her left side. And we were just doing meditations as part of the class and we were doing the ovary breathing up into the breasts. And we weren't, you know, she was in a class, she was learning. So it's not, it's kind of depletive because it's like an experience. And just with those meditations, she noticed like in two days that her left breast milk equalized to the right breast, which was pretty interesting. (laughs) So there's a lot that with meditation that we can do, it's very real. You know, that was like a tangible effect. I feel it all the time in women's bodies. When we use our energy field and we work with it, like you were doing with inner vision, when you visualize, uh, when you breathe and work with your inner vision, you are actually changing your energy field. And there's a lot of palpable effects with that. Absolutely. In your book, you talk about if we were neglected as a child, that you will find challenges with being present with your own children. And even though you may want to parent differently, having the intention is not enough. You have to change the core patterns and imprinted framework that organize your life energy. Now, when you're talking about being neglected as a child, you're not necessarily, yes, there's the extreme case of neglect where maybe a parent left or something like that, but then also neglected being not with a fully present parent. Talk to us about this because I know lots of parents or caregivers struggle with being present with their children and they might not even realize it is from that wound of being neglected themselves. So can you talk about that and how we heal that? For sure. I mean, I think I ran into this when I first had my first child. It's many things. This is so deep also, like so many things. It's really because we don't cultivate the left side being state in most cultures. And this is not all cultures, but cultures, especially that are production oriented, tend to get more focused to the right side and the outer and the movement. And I was certainly a product of this and also became, you know, academically oriented and was an achiever in school and not very in tune with my own body or self. And then I had a child. So I'd gone through years of kind of training this and cultivating this where there was something missing, but I wasn't really aware that something was missing. Then I had a baby and they're very, they slow you down, right? They're like, all of a sudden you're rapid pace, moving out here, getting things done. I had gone to graduate school and, you know, my whole life was built out here. My husband and I were both at work every day. And then all of a sudden I had a baby and it was like, here I am. (laughs) Now what do I do? And I also felt an accumulation of feelings when I slowed down, which is common because if you're not attending to that center point, a lot of stuff is there (laughs) to meet you, you know, because we all have these inner needs of presence And again, because there's no tribe and there's a lot of pieces missing, a lot of people are having to work and do other things, there's a lack of presence. People are fatigued and they aren't even able to be present. So you can be there, but not there. You know, you can be distracted mentally, you can have emotional issues, you can have traumas that make you feel disembodied. There can be the pressures to work, people can be ill. There's many reasons why people aren't there, but I would say it's rare to actually find pure presence because it's just so not cultivated. So I, think, you know, I was healing my own childhood wounds and then also kind of didn't know what to do with this child because I wasn't used to being present. 
And I say this is also kind of like the home fire feels cold, you know, so I looked up and down the street, everybody was at work, there was nobody around, there's nobody even in the neighborhood when I had my first son. And so it was very lonely. And I think, you know, the pandemic has changed this a little bit because people were all forced home. And at first, I think that was really hard on a lot of people. And of course, there's different layers of privilege to this. So I can't really get into all of that right now. But, but also, it was sort of pushed everybody back into the home and people had to kind of work that out. But then a lot of people, I think, felt like they recalibrated on that home front, you know? So presence is something we can all work on and neglect can be subtle because people can be there, but not really be in their own center. And sometimes when you've had just emotional wounding, like a lot of parents have their own emotional wounding that makes it uncomfortable to be present. And so distraction is the norm. And then that becomes a form of neglect because every baby that comes in is asking for presence. And if there's nobody there meeting them, then they learn to dissociate too. And so it can be passed through generations. So, you know, it's a really a recalibration. I felt like it was a really, it took work, but it was really beautiful to get to be called back to my own center. And that's another reason I wrote Mothering from Your Center. I was like, okay, I'm repairing my relationship with this point. Now I cherish it and I love it. And I feel the opposite, where if I get pulled out too much, I feel the imbalance in my center because I'm very aware of that present state. How would you suggest someone cultivate more presence if they realize, okay, I'm definitely not present with my children. I'm aware of that. Where do I start? Yeah, I think it is a practice and you can almost think of it this again, where these, so many of these things are actually spiritual practices, right? It's like all the things that we think of with a spiritual practice overlap where presence, you know, in all meditation practices, being present, being still is sort of part of that. I guess you don't necessarily have to be still. You could be moving or playing, but it's, are you there? You know, are you actually in your center? Are you off here in your mind? Or are you on the electronics or like, where are you? So it's something to notice, first of all, where are you? And then increasing your capacity to stay in your own center. So, you know, like with my children, I found it easier to like do stuff for them than to be with them. So like the cleaning, the laundry, the, you know, the tasks management, that's all that masculine energy. So I would work on like laying down with them, playing with them, looking at them, just being still with them. And that, you know, I increased my capacity over time. So I guess I would just say noticing is the first step. And then the next step is just starting to allow it. And sometimes when you are in your present, you know, like I said, feelings will come up and they can even be your own childhood wounds, sadness, grief, anger, fear, you know, so you can work with those. In Wild Feminine, I write about different feelings and kind of what might come up and ways to work with them. So that's another resource to find that out. But all of it is like a vast creative project, you know, (laughs) there's no like perfection. It's more like, oh, okay, you know, this is normal. And also, I guess the other thing I should say is it's very difficult for one person to be present with a child all day long, you know, so you can give yourself a break. That's the tribe again, supposed to be people rotating. So, you know, it's okay if you're kind of distracted and not always there. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's not going to be, especially a long journey of a parenting journey, which you can see if you have, you know, a 16 year old too, it's like, it's, it's a good 20 year journey. So you have to like, you can, you know, you don't have to be present every minute, but there are times to be present. And 
early in that first year, they need a lot of presence because they're embodying. And then at key points, you just feel it. Like sometimes, you know, kids go through a state where they need more presence and then another time they're kind of coasting along. So it's a practice, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And would it be worth when they're a bit older and they understand even saying to them, I'm not very present right now. I've got stuff on my mind. Do you mind if I just quickly go and jot these things down and then I can come back and be fully present with you? You know, is it worth even saying that? Absolutely. I think that's part of having good communication. And I think then they learn skills too, because it's also like, we do have so many obligations on our shoulders. We don't support families well. So people have to work and take phone calls and do things. So communication is really key and you're giving them that back and forth. I think that's a beautiful example of also honoring that you have things you have to do. And I just kind of know, you know, in every day, I know that there's certain times that are good to be present with my kids, especially as they're older. They require less um, like long periods of presence, but they still need deep moments. You know, sometimes it's just like a touch in right at bedtime or a touch in. My one son likes to call when he's walking home from school. And so, you know, there are key times when I know, and I can't always pick up the call, but I try to usually, if I can't pick it up, I will always text him and say, I'm in the middle of something, but can I talk to you in a minute? You know? And it's like, I think they're learning value and they're learning, you know, that you value them and you see them. And then also you have to sometimes take care of your things, but it's not that you don't value them. Absolutely. Even with my own parents, if they call and I can't be fully present with them, I won't pick up the call. But I could always just text them and say, hey, can I give you a call later? But um, I say to them as well, because my mum would usually call me when she was doing other things. And to be honest, that frustrated me. And I would communicated with her many years ago. And I just said, mom, I love chatting with you so much, but can you do it when you're just sitting down? not when you're at the shops and you're going through the checkout and I can hear the beep, beep, beep of the checkout, you know, like, and she was like, yeah, absolutely, darling. I just wanted to answer your call. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I would rather you didn't answer my call until you can be fully present with me. So, you know, and my husband does this with his son, you know, he'll pick up the phone and say, hey, buddy, I'm just in the middle of something. Can I give you a call back when I can be fully present? I think that's a really beautiful thing to do for your children and for your parents. I think it's good training, you know, for each other. Like it's, it's about how do we actually be in relationship with each other, but also have reality, but we, we value the connection. And even, you know, like my oldest who, gosh, he's gotten tons of presents from us, but he's now doing just what you said. Like he's, I'm, he's talking to me in the grocery store, you know, and I'm just like, okay. So, you know, sometimes there's a recalibration where I'm like, Say, I just had that exact conversation, like maybe talk to me when you're out, the, you know, like let's put some intention around this. And I think there can be various times where you just have to revisit that conversation. And you know what? I just realized that I say that to my parents, yet I'm doing something when they call me. So it's like this, it's this <laughs> double standard with your parents. Like you want them to be part of, you know, you have that relationship with them that you don't have with anyone else. So it is that you can be your full, true, authentic self. And you know what I mean? So I think there's a, okay, you can have those conversations when you're going through the checkout and make sure you are having that deeper quality, really present conversation as well. So you just kind of really shod something back onto me because I'm like, I have double standards. And I'm like, mom mom and dad, I'm sorry if you're listening to this, I'll be more present when we talk. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's all about back and forth, you know, give and take and like, and things can change too. Sometimes you really need a present conversation and sometimes it's fine because it's a chat, you know, but mm. yeah, it's a value. Yeah, absolutely. And my parents would probably never even say anything. They probably would never say, you know, hey, darling, would you mind calling me back when you're not going through the checkout or whatever it is? But just remembering that they're a human being as well and they want connection too. And yeah, so thank you for that reminder. For sure. Yeah. Well, and when you have older children, you'll probably have a whole new perspective. It's interesting how, yeah. things come full circle. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you talk about mothering as an opportunity to slow down and be in the moment. It's an invitation for fun and play and to come back into our heart. I love that you talk all about that. And I also love that you talk about creativity a lot. Talk to us about how mothering and creativity kind of go together. Yeah. I mean, I think that wasn't necessarily the model of mothering that's in the world. You know, it's more about like self-sacrifice, but to me, like having children is a naturally creative event, right? Like it's just so creative. They come from the mystery and they come out so unique and being with them. I think just for me, creative energy is a high value and I feel more fulfilled when I'm being creative and, and more generative, you know? So it's something that I cultivate in our family and then also in the children, you know, it's like, it's so, uh, so wonderful to me when they're creative. So they kind of know, like, if there's anything they want, you know, if like art supplies or music lessons, or if they, you know, like that's a, always a yes from me. And I think that it's both, right? For me, I feel more fulfilled as a mother when I'm being creative. And so by that, It's always hard for me when I hear a woman say that she's not creative because I think everyone's naturally creative is just what you learned. And so it's, but it's finding what appeals to you. What is generative for you? And it might differ and it might even change over time. Maybe when your kids are younger, like being with them is your creative or you're like doing classes with them or art classes or things like that. Or maybe it's something separate from them, like it's dancing or gardening, or I'm always on the lookout for what is sparking my creativity. I love color. So I bring it into my life, into my clothes and my jewelry, also in all of our home. I just love bringing it in. And I love flowers and flowers in the yard, you know, so it's just whatever it is for you personally that is generative. And then for me, I find that my family's happier when they are also generating their own creativity. So it's kind of like, that's why I think it's always been a high value where I want them to be as creative as they can be and not limit themselves to thinking like, oh, if I don't paint really well, or I don't sing perfectly, I'm not creative. It's like everyone is creative and let's put as many opportunities for you to be creative as you can. And also I love like all three of my sons have ended up really loving to like, like they really cultivate their own personal style and how they dress, you know, and from an early age, like I was always trying to encourage them to play with that expression, you know, whether it was like more formal or more like thrifting or just, so I, and, you know, like my youngest son got his ear pierced and got rings and <laughs> I just love that so much. So yeah, to me, they go hand in hand. And I hope for everyone that if you're not feeling creative, that you start looking into where you lost touch with that and where you can start bring that back in because it's very generative. And it's why I wrote Wild Creative too as a book. So if you feel lost at all, that book is a good how-to book to get your creativity flowing again. And I wrote that also for my sons because I wanted them to stay in touch and stay true to their own creative channel. And creativity doesn't have to look a certain way. Creativity is a feeling, right? So whatever makes you feel creative, and if that is 
making food, if that is gardening, if that is art, if that is cleaning the house with music on and organizing things in a certain way, if that is doing a yoga flow, like it doesn't have to look a certain way. I think we have subscribed to this model of it looking like painting and art and sculptures and things like that, but it really doesn't have to look a certain way. It's just, it's a feeling. Like for me, walking in nature, I feel creative. Like even if I'm if I'm not doing, like if I'm not picking up leaves or anything, but just walking in nature, I feel creative. Swimming in the ocean, playing in the sand with my daughter, building sandcastles. Like I feel creative when I do that. So it doesn't have to look a certain way. And I really want to inspire everyone listening to tap into the feeling of creativity and follow that, do whatever that is, and just know that it doesn't have to look a certain way. Yeah. And sometimes you have to unlearn things that you learned around it. You know, people can shut it down because they don't feel like they have a certain talent, you know, when really it is, it's a feeling, it's an experience in your body. It's like a sensory experience that everyone should have access to. Absolutely. What is your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? Well, that's perfect segue with creativity because to me, success is having access to your creative flow, knowing what brings it alive and having access and being able to feel it on a regular basis. Or if you're not feeling it, having the support to get back in touch with it. And then for me, so success is definitely accessing that creative flow and then playing with it over time, letting it evolve and change. Because I think of everyone as a creative, you know, a divine creation. So, and then what was the other question? Oh, my success. (laughs) Creativity, definitely. I think for me, creativity has played a huge role in my life, obviously in being a mother, in healing and being a healer in all the writing I do in the bodywork practice I teach. And it's that generative energy that I think Women feel that when they come and sit with me because I really am reflecting back to them how beautiful, how generative, how whole they are, the medicine they carry in their center. So that's something that is experienced in sessions, whether I'm doing it by phone on energy or I'm doing it in person. And then it led to a very creative practice because for me, I was taught, you know, a way of working on women's bodies, which was beautiful and it's important, the women's health physical therapy, but I felt like there were a lot of pieces missing. So I got creative with it and worked with the body and was able to create a whole bodywork practice that feels really good to me and good to the women I serve and led to, you know, writing and all the things. So it's like a fountain, you know, it just keeps giving, giving to me and giving to my life. Beautiful. Let's pretend you have a magic wand now and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Besides your books, which 1000% should be in the school curriculum, what is one other book that you would choose? I mean, the first book that comes to mind is Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, just because that was one of the original (laughs) Bibles. You know, Christian Northrup is such a visionary as an OBGYN because, again, that is somewhat of a patriarchal field where the medicine was taken outside of the woman's body. And she was one of the first ones in that type of practice to say, actually, there's wisdom in the body. And it was seeing that book and reading that book that inspired me to look further for that wisdom. So, you know, that would probably be the first one. Mm, Beautiful. We'll link to that in the show notes. 
Can you talk to us about how your day looks? I love hearing about people's rituals and routines. Can you share with us a typical day in your life? And I know no two days are ever the same, but a kind of typical day. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of a homebody. I love my home. I love my children. I love my animals. I have two dogs and a bird and a sweet husband. And (laughs) we have a very creative home-based life. So, you know, I do see clients too, but I really like to start the day connecting with, you know, I only have two children at home now because the other one's at college, but touching in with them, snuggling, if I can get a snuggle in before they're, you know, my younger one still allows it. So contact, saying good morning to everyone, a good cup of coffee from my husband on the percolator, a walk in the park. We always walk together. And so that's kind of how our day starts. And then I usually do some medicine work. So I get to work with women either in the office or I do things via Zoom and and phone around the world. So I get to do this beautiful medicine. And then I usually like to take some sort of time connecting with spirit. So for me, that usually looks like going out to my little medicine wheel. I'm, I live in an urban place, but I have a place on the land that's just, you know, got the four directions and I sit and give thanks or ask for help. Sometimes, you know, there's needing medicine for something. Then it's usually like, you know, everybody checking in. I usually try to text with my son. I, I like to check in with everybody. So it's like, how's everybody doing? A couple friends, you know, just like, hello. And then we have dinner. And then if I'm not too tired, <laughs> maybe a little read of a book few emails and then yeah, start again. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yep. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Mm. Say I love you and really feel it in your own body. Beautiful. What's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? Mm, trust in spirit. So realize it's not just you, but there's an energy field all around you and the divine mystery that you can connect to, but you have to open to the trust of that energy. Beautiful. And what's one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Mm, Be curious about the people around you. Beautiful. This has been so amazing. And I truly, truly wish you were sitting with me in person right now and we were having a cup of tea and we had another seven hours to chat because you are just such a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I love the work that you're doing so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or any last parting words of wisdom? I think I would just say, you know, I hope every woman realizes the medicine she has in her own center, in her own bowl, in her own body, no matter what her experience on this life has been, that, you know, that medicine is there. So learning how to access it, tapping into it, beginning to use it will really transform her experience of being in a female body. So I just wish that for everyone to know how powerful, how beautiful, how radiant each one of you is. Mm. I love that so much. You are helping, serving, and inspiring so many people. I adore you. I love your work and your books and your TED Talk and everything that you stand for. How can we give back and serve you today? I think just take care of the women in your community. You know, it's like, like right now I have a, um, a mother across the street who just had a baby and she doesn't know what I do really. I, you know, I did give her a, cup, a copy of Mothering from Your Center, but Mostly I just know that like there's always women around that can use an extra like just something brought her her and her husband a meal and some extra love. You know, those first two weeks with a new baby are a little daunting. I think just, you know, look for the, the vulnerable people in your community and give to them because there are always a few within 
a stone's throw. You know, if we help take care of each other, it makes it a better world for sure. And at different times too, you know, that person might need some extra support and then that person over there and then that person over there. So yeah, that's that's really beautiful. Such a beautiful reminder. So thank you for that. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your wisdom with us. I just wish I could reach through my computer and give you a big squeeze right now. <laughs> You're truly such an angel. So thank you so much for being here and for all the work that you do. I adore you. Thank you, Melissa. The phrase mothering from your center or mothering from my center is something that I repeat every day. In those moments where I'm feeling agitated or frustrated, I ask myself, am I mothering from my center? And that one simple question immediately transfers me back to my heart, back to my center. It is such a beautiful, powerful question. So next time you are mothering and you feel wobbly, ask yourself, am I mothering from my center? I truly hope you got a lot out of this episode and I hope you loved this conversation. And if you did, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that my episodes will just pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for them. Please come and connect with me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me what you got from this episode. I would love to hear. So come and connect with me. Come and tell me. I want to hear what you got from this episode. And before I go, I wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.